Okay, let's come back together, find our seats. Thank you, Nate, for sharing. Thank you, worship team, for really focusing our attention on our great God. We are drawn to greatness, aren't we? If you think about it, there were a few years back, um, both of the Pastor Andrews, is that a good way to call them? Both of the Pastor Andrews and I were down in San Diego at a conference, a theology conference, and um, we're going to session by session, and just a, a number of guys are there like us, and, and a number of um, people that have written all these like great theology books, and one of the, the sessions we were at, we set our stuff down, and, and we had gone back to the, the book section, because they have this lobby with free books, half-price books, basically heaven. And, um, and so we're scanning that. We come back and we sit down, and next to pastor, one of the Pastor Andrews, um, also AJ, um, <laughs> not to, next to him was D.A. Carson. And I don't know if you guys know who D.A. Carson is. Um, he's a th- theologian that I really respect. All of us really respect. We've read his work. And, and so um, AJ comes and sits down where his stuff was, and, and they said hi. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh. And the rest of the session, or the rest of the, the conference, um, AJ, Pastor AJ is like, yeah, Donnie and I are close. <laughs> he, he, he's my friend. And I'm like, you got to sit next to him. We just had to sit next to you. It's, it's like, <laughs> no, but we, sorry, sorry, Pastor AJ. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a really cool thing because this is a man of God. And, and in, in many ways, I use that as an intro because we are drawn to greatness. In that case, it was a, a, a great theologian. But if some of you met your favorite baseball player, it would be like, oh, this is amazing. If someone met someone you've seen on TikTok, which you should never be on, um, maybe it would be like, ah, um, but we're drawn to that. And I believe that that is because God has put eternity in our hearts. He has put a desire for something greater than ourselves in our hearts because that should draw us and direct us to him because he is the greatest of all. And he is the only one that can fulfill that need. This morning, I've titled this morning, um, In the Company of Greatness or In the Presence of Greatness. Because in Psalm 104, where we're going to be, the psalmist just takes this and reflects on how great our God is and that he is our God, that he is with us, that he cares for us, that he provides, that he sustains. And, And he draws our focus upward to the greatness of God to fill the deepest needs in our hearts. And so today I hope that's what we do. We take Psalm 104 and I hope just to make us look up and just to be in awe of our God. And again, we we read it this morning. Thank you, Sarah, for reading that. And it's nothing particularly new, but oh, do we need to get our eyes and our thoughts off the things around us and off the substitutes that we put in our lives to satisfy us for the greatness of God and to focus on how great our God is. And so, worship team, you did a great job with songs of doing that this morning. But turn with me to Psalm 104. And this is the second of two psalms that are the Bless the Lord, O My Soul songs, I'm calling them. Psalm 103 we studied last week, and this is Psalm 104, and it starts and ends the same way. Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And the psalmist there is encouraging us 
to with our whole selves, with our whole heart, praise. And when we bless the Lord, we praise him, we compliment him, we make him big. Nate, you said that this morning, that you, sometimes we forget to make God big in our lives. And that's, that's my goal this morning. Let's remember how great our God is. So if I had to summarize this psalm, we praise and elevate our great God because his creation reminds us of his power, wisdom, sustained work, and sovereignty that is far above all others. That is the God that we serve and that we worship today. As we dive into to Psalm um, 104, we'll go through it pretty quickly. And some of that, I want to take it section by section and let the words sort of weigh on us. It's poetry. And so, yeah, we could take every word and tear it apart. And, and that's a great study. But the poetry in this particular chapter is designed to sort of pile on each other and to, to show us the greatness of God with thing after thing after thing. And so we, we want to do that. One of the things I want to mention just right from the start, get some of the details out of the way. It really looks as if the psalmist, as he wrote Psalm 104, is reflecting on Genesis 1. And so as we go through Psalm 104, it actually roughly goes through the six days of creation. And you can use that as an outline, and we'll point those things out because it's a reminder that our God is great, and the psalmist is using the creative story, the creation story, those six days that actually happened to remind ourselves of how great our God is. Now, we'll read it, and you'll be like, wait, 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 animals are on the scene, and those weren't until day six or whatever. It's sort of like if you were to build a house. I remember doing the add-on on our house, and you build a house and you look back and there was an order to the house, right? Foundations usually precede walls. Walls usually precede roofs and things like that. Otherwise, it doesn't work. But when you're looking back, you can look at anything in that house. And, and I might look at one of the rooms and say, oh, I, I just love how this room turned out. And then I might reference the foundation. So, so you reference all of the creative work at one time. And so we're going to see that happen as the psalmist is just amazed at, at what God did. Amazed that God created everything and each item and how they work together. And so let's marvel with the psalmist at creation. And so Psalm 104.1 starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then it goes on for the rest of the psalm to give reasons why we bless the Lord. Why can we lift him high? What can motivate us to do that? And verses 1 through 4, we, we begin in the first stanza. Our great God embodies and exudes splendorous majesty. I love to make up words, except Spellcheck said this was actually a word. Our great God embodies and exudes splendorous majesty. We see words here that remind us of splendor and majesty. Let me read verses 1 through 4. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. 
And so the psalmist starts using the royal terms of splendor and majesty to describe God, a God who sets the stars in place, a God who sets light in place and clothes himself with light. And, and the imagery here is above all creation, that creation is sort of his tool and his plaything because he created it to enjoy and to use for his purposes. There is nothing not great about our God. I know I'm using a double negative. There is nothing not great about our God. And so he starts at the second half of one there. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And then he wants to give us the extent of that, sort of breaking down now that we've read that section, breaking it down a little bit. He starts with light. And this is how did creation start? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so he starts with day one of creation and, and God creates light. Light illuminates. Light chases the dark away. And, and the, the, the impact of this section is sort of like if you're walking around in the middle of the night and your eyes have adjusted to the dark and you walk in a room and you flip on all the lights, it should just blow you away with how bright it is, right? You're squinting. It's like, ah, that's how splendorous God is here. The splendor and the majesty. And it says he clothes himself in light. He controls light. He just wears it like, like a shirt, like a robe. Think about that. One of the fun things I want to do this morning is sort of think about some of the science behind some of this, um, just to try to blow our minds a little bit more. Um, light, the speed of light. Anyone know the speed of light off the top of your head? Now, we have engineers here. I would expect that. Um, 186,282 miles per second. That's right. Um, that's fast. That's faster than most of you drive on the 22. It takes approximately eight minutes and 20 seconds for light to travel from the sun to the earth. And that's just our closest star, the sun to the earth. We can, we can continue with stats about light, but we should marvel how great is our God. He created light. He, he wraps it around himself like a robe. Light is his idea in his imagination. And then he goes on in that verse to talk about the, the heavens and the stars. And he says, stretching out the heavens like the tent. And the idea is that, that all of the sky, all of the stars, all of that is just something he puts in place. He stretches the fabric out and that's his abode. Our God created every star, every pinpoint of light that you see if you get out of the city. He created it all. He put them in place. He orders their movements. He keeps them from, from blowing each other up, unless that's part of the plan with, with a supernova or something. He keeps them from running into the earth. He sets them up. And I, was, I tried to look up, okay, how many stars are there? And um, no one really knows. As we get more, the Hubble telescope gave us more ideas. Recently, the Webb telescope gives us more ideas. One astrophysicist said they estimate because, because um, the Hubble telescope figured that there was about 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Um, one of the scientists said there's about 100 million stars in the average galaxy. So then you do 2 trillion by 100 million. Basically, we're getting to one followed by 24 zeros. 
That's just the stars we know about. And God said, let the stars go there. Let the stars go there. Let the stars. It's just like taking a fabric, going like this and setting it over something. God made them all. God holds them all together. In in our numbering system, we would say this is one septillion, just in case you care. What What I like is some of the pictures. These are recent pictures from the Webb telescope that just came online. This is just one little portion of the sky. A lot of stars there. It's another picture, another area. This is one of the nebulas that they they found. And um, as they zoom in, they keep seeing more and more and more. Our God thought these up and placed these with a word. How great is our God? How awesome is his name? And these should just blow our mind. It goes on to say his palace is on the waters of the sky in verse 3 there. He lays the beams of his chambers, chambers meaning palace. Beams could be rafters or the, the foundation or both, depending on how many stories. It says he lays those on the rain clouds. Waters of the sky here is referring to rain clouds. And he's getting into some imagery where of day two of creation where God separated the waters into the sky and the firmament. And there was waters in the air, the clouds in the atmosphere, waters below. And so he's reflecting on day two and said, yeah, God did this, but his palace is on those rain clouds. He is above all this. He controls this. This is nothing to him because how great is our God? The clouds and the winds, that's his chariot, his transportation. These are great things that are just tools for him, building blocks. They do his bidding. Swiftly they do his bidding. And so we get images of a powerful king and a God. In verse 4, his messengers are like wind and fire. And this could be either the wind and fire are his messengers and he controls them. And the fire there is probably lightning. This is a sort of storm imagery. Um, It could be that angels are like wind and fire. And I know in, in California, wind and fire, we don't really care for that combination. Yeah. But this says God controls all that. Those those are simply messengers for him. They act according to his will. What we think as this powerful beast that can't be tamed acts completely according to God's will as God sovereignly controls it. And so we see day one and day two in creation right here. The psalmist goes on in verses five through nine as he reflects further on what has been made. And some of these are going to overlap a little bit because all of them are reflecting on God's greatness. But point number two, our great God created and maintains all things powerfully and effortlessly. Keep in mind, all this was created by a word. And God said, let there be, and it happened. And so verses five through nine, again, I want to read the whole section. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment, and water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. And this should make us think of day three of creation. In Genesis 1-9, where we read, And God said, 
Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so this is a poetic description of the psalmist reflecting as God divided the waters. So in, in the creation account, we know that waters covered the earth and God starts to divide them and mountains start to come up and you can just picture all the, the special effects and you can picture this happen and valleys happening. And so the psalmist is trying to, to give us that picture of a God that's just orchestrating all this, orchestrating how this comes together with a word. He creates it, and then he sustains it. He maintains it so that the way the, the water stays where it's supposed to be, the, there's a boundary, you shall not pass, which should remind us of a, a certain movie character. And God does that with the ocean. Not just a monster in the, in the movie. He does that with the ocean, saying, there, there's your spot, stay there. How great is our God. And so we get a picture of, of the water. We get a picture of the mountains and the valleys exactly where God's intended and the water flying off of that and that he maintains his creation. Our great God created and maintains all things powerfully and effortlessly. We move on to 10 through 18. Our great God provides a life-sustaining, interdependent world to support life and give enjoyment. That just... I was trying to figure out a different way of wording that one because that sounds so cold. But basically the idea is God created the earth to give life when nothing else could, all the systems to work together, interdependent, so that we can have life and that we can have enjoyment. God, God in his infinite wisdom created all of this to work and to work well. And so catch some of the imagery here. Verse 10, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field and wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell and they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains or you cause rain on the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. And so this is still day three of creation as God is creating the land, but he's creating the ecosystems. And what it's talking about here is, okay, the water's separated out, but how does earth work? What if there was no rain? What if there's no rain on the planet? We die. There's no food, no grain, nothing grows. Animals die. Because the rain then causes these rivers and causes these streams. And, and so this is a poetic description of saying, God made all of this work. He made evaporation work. He made the rain work. The water didn't just stay in the ocean, but God created all these systems to work together. In fact, when you think of all the ecosystems, when you think of how it all works together, it, it scientifically makes an old earth impossible because all of the, the ecosystems had to show up at the same time to function. And, and there's all kinds of other places I could go with that. But in the beauty of creation, God had to create it all at one time because all of these ecosystems rely on each other. That's what this section is talking about. There's water, and, and even the wadis in the desert place bring water to the animals that need it, and there's trees beside it in the oasises, and this is part of the imagery the psalmist would have known about. And they work, and God provides. Reminds us of Matthew 6:26 when Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I love the the word in verse 13, satisfied. And that's a word that comes up three, four times in this psalm that God in his creation satisfies us. Are you starting to feel just how great God is? Starting to remember? I tried to look up, okay, how much water evaporates in this ecosystem that, that God created? At any one instant, the atmosphere contains approximately 37.5 million billion gallons of water. That's just in the clouds, in the atmosphere. That's a lot. Now, then, then there was a lot of just trying to guess, okay, how much evaporation ap- actually takes place. The best picture of it I saw was approximately 17 to 25 million cubic meters of water evaporate per second. The equivalent of 78 Amazon rivers flowing up into the sky. And God created it with a word. And if that's wrong, if if that doesn't evaporate, if that system fails, everything dies. How great is our God? Great is our God. Also in, in, in verse, in day three of creation, um, Genesis one eleven says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which their seed, each according to his kind, is on the earth. And it was so. And so we come to verse 14 in our text where we see now plants and we see the the earth starting to thrive. And it says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. And we see God's provision of using these plants for food. In verse 15, we see the enjoyment that God just doesn't want us to exist here. He doesn't just want us to suffer here, but he wants us to enjoy life here because he created it in verse 15 and wine to gladden the heart of man and wine was something that was sort of beyond food as a necessity wine was a luxury something that was a pleasant gift sort of like what we would think of as good coffee and life would be hard without good coffee now god gives us these things to enjoy oil to make his face shine oil is how they would clean themselves up and it had medicinal qualities It represented the extra good things in life and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so we see God creating a reference to to the sixth day of creation, creating man in his image, but creating this earth on day three to support man, to, to have us enjoy it. Every time we have a good steak, every time we have a good cup of coffee or a good, I don't know, cup of Dr. Pepper, um, unsweetened iced tea more now. Um, every time we enjoy something like that, every time we have our grandkids over and we enjoy that time, it should remind us that God created this for our enjoyment. And it should remind us of God and who God is and what he has done. All of these good things. And then it goes on in 16 through 18 to talk about how all creation works together. The trees of of Yahweh of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refugee for the rock badgers. And he begins to talk about just how creation works together. 
And the psalmist is marveling. You know, without the trees, there's no birds. Without the rocks, there's no rock badgers. Without the cedars of Lebanon were considered the best building materials of the time and in the area. Uh, You know, I think of our redwoods, right? When I think of big trees, and, and redwoods probably are a little bigger than them, but the cedars of Lebanon could reach 130 feet in height. So they were tall. I think we have a picture of these. Um, these are some, do you see the people at the bottom? The little ones, little specks? That gives you perspective. And really today's all about perspective. God created these trees in a moment. He planned for them. The trunk of these trees is about six to eight feet in diameter or across. So these are big trees. I have one more picture of them. This is just one of them. Again, look at the people. Little bitty people in the snow. And it's a reminder, God created these great trees with a word. And he created it, created it to all work together to support life. And so God created an interdependent world to, to give us purpose, to give us pleasure. And we should praise him for that. We go on to verses 19 to 23, and we get the next stanza, the next section, which corresponds with day four of creation. Time, day and night, and rest were our great God's idea. Time, day and night, and rest were our great God's idea. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. And it's referring that God created the sun and the moon and the stars, which he did on day four. And that creates our seasons. That creates our day, our 24-hour day, which we work and then we rest. And he created some animals, especially some of the little little crazy animals, um, that they go out and do their stuff at night. And then we get up and we're safe and we, we do that in the daytime. And it's just showing how God created his creation to work together. It should remind us how great is our God. And so he created different parts of creation to function at different times, perfectly corresponding to each other. It's also a reminder that even in the dark, even at night when we think danger lurks, God is still in control. God is still sovereign. He's the one that sends the lion out for its food. He is still sovereign over every part of our lives. These things created seasons which are necessary for planting They bring enjoyment. Some of you like summer. Some of you like snow and winter. No one likes fall. No, some of you like fall. And and if if you live in a place where the leaves turn. But in verse 23, God also created rest. And I'm reminded again of this when I think of the science behind this. I know today is sort of a chance for me to geek out on how great our God is too. When you think about how far the sun is from the earth, it's in a zone that's called the Goldilocks zone. Not too far away, not too close. Um, Consider the temperature swings we encounter, because we we are in an elliptical orbit, but the temperature swings we encounter, coldest, you know, maybe minus 30 degrees to plus 120 degrees. Um, Earth any further away from the sun, we'd all freeze. Snowmen all over. 
any closer, we'd burn up. Even a fractional variance in the Earth's position to the sun would make life on Earth impossible. The Earth remains this perfect distance from the sun while it rotates at nearly 67,000 miles per hour. But it doesn't fly away. It stays within this Goldilocks zone where God has ordained it to stay to create life. It's also rotating on its axis, allowing the entire surface of the earth to be properly warmed and cooled every every day, where we have day and night. This kind of design, it is statistically impossible to happen by chance. This kind of design is incredible and should point us to the Creator. It is amazing. We could get to the moon. Our moon is the perfect size and distance from the earth for gravitational pull. Any closer or any bigger, and and we're having, you know, 40, 50-foot tides. Not good if you live, well, even where we live. Any further away, and you lose your tides, and the tides are essential for the health of the oceans and for the oceans not to stagnate. It's just so perfect because God planned it that way. How great is our God. Point number five, creation 24 through 30. Creation shows his wisdom and sovereignty with all creation dependent on his good sustaining work. And sort of everything in this point is, is a, a repeat of what we've already got, had, but the psalmist is starting to move to just how great God is again. And so he starts, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures, which now we get to days five and six. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships. They don't mess things up. And Leviathan, which was the largest creature they knew of at the time, which you formed to play in it. And so the Leviathan would have been a great fish and saying, God just created this fish just to, to enjoy, to play with. This is his kitty cat. And it's the biggest animal on the planet. Now, I don't know if this is exactly the planet, but the blue whale is what we have today, what we know of as the largest creature on the planet, um, the largest animal ever, anywhere. Um, humpback whale is about 52 feet long. Um, a blue whale can grow up to 98 feet long and 173 tons, even today. And so I have a picture here. I think I put one up of, of sort of a... Um, comparison. It's like night. No. <laughs> 100 feet. So picture a 100 feet well. That's approximately two and a half full-size school buses. Okay. That is longer than this room. And this is just a whale that is God's kitty cat that he made for fun. How great is our God? There we go. Yeah. Um, Six mid-sized cars would fit on a a small blue whale. Fifteen grown men length to length. And so you get all of these kinds of descriptions. This is a huge creature. And God created it for fun. I love this. I love this passage because it just gives us perspective that is so far greater than us. Then 27 through 30 in this talks 
talked about that we're dependent on his sustenance, that God created it to work together, but his hands are still with us. We are in the presence of greatness. If we believe in him, he lives in us. We know that today we worship him in his presence. And so verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food and do see. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And all of these words are reminding us God maintains life. He sustains life. If God's not in the picture, nothing survives. There is no order. There is no maintenance of that order of the ecosystems that we need God, which is why he has created a desire to be in the presence of greatness in us. And again, in verse 28, we see that word satisfied. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And that, that's the same Hebrew word for satisfy that's used earlier in the chapter. God wants to give us good things. He's created this earth to, for us to enjoy. Now, we know that the fall happens later in Genesis. He's going to talk about, he's going to talk about that at the end. And in two chapters later, sin enters the world and corrupts what God created to be perfect, what God created to enjoy. But even then, God seeks us for for restoration and reconciliation and gives us his son, Jesus Christ, to allow us to come back to him and allow payment for that sin. We get to the last point, 31 through 35, just wrap up the chapter. And he comes back to praise. Same point as the first one. Praise our great sovereign creator God with our whole being. And just enjoy these verses. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. Referring to his power even over natural things like earthquakes and volcanoes. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And the one reference to the fall, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. But then right back to praising God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And so as we we study this chapter, we're reminded all of this is for the glory of God. All of this reminds us of his greatness. And one of the things that, that I think this helps us do and, and why I wanted to do this chapter and, and why I believe this helps us is, number one, it gets our attention on God. And we need God for salvation and life is only fulfilling when we live in light of who God is. It's the only way it works. Everything else is substitute. But then the other, the other thing that I think we see in Scripture is that when we focus on God, it puts in perspective the junk of this earth. And it allows us to deal with the junk of this earth. For instance, if I have a rock here and say, I want to tell you about a rock. I want to tell, this is a great rock right here. And um, if you notice, half of it's cut off. So it's like half a rock. But it really gives this sort of half really cool look. And if I spend all my time, even put that picture up, 
if I spend all my time, maybe I'm standing in front of this particular rock that isn't coming back up. (laughs) Okay. Picture a picture of Half Dome in Yosemite behind me. And if I'm standing in front of Half Dome saying, look at this Half Dome. This is amazing. This is great. You will think I'm nuts. Because standing behind me is this 4,000-foot peak that is amazing. Picture it. You've all seen Half Dome. That's what I think a chapter like this allows us to do, is get our focus on the right rock and get our focus on the right thing. And when we do that, suddenly now this is a chapter not only proclaiming God's greatness, but this is a chapter that helps us deal with anything you might have gone through this week. Because it's a little rock compared to the rock and how great our God is. This is why Job ends, and Job, has, Job, Job went through a few things. Job's life stunk. <laughs> at least he thought it did. And at the end, when God is, is dealing with Job, God comes back to a, a chapter very much like Psalm 104. In fact, some of the words are exactly the same. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. God's a little sarcastic there. (laughs) Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Remember, God says, no, you, you shall not pass. When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bend and prescribed limits for it and set bars. He goes on for three chapters to talk about his greatness. This is Job's answer for why does life stink on earth? And it was never, oh, it stinks because of this. It was look at the bigger rock. Look that you are in the presence of greatness. Look at who your God is. He even mentions Leviathan to Job. I mean, man, this is like, I think the psalmist was reflecting on this as well as Genesis 1. And Job's answer in chapter 42, he doesn't have much to say when God just pummels him with how great he is. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's what I pray our takeaway is today. How great is our God? I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is no other rock that is stable. There is no other place we can trust. Everything else falls apart. I was reminded of this, and and this is where I might get a little emotional. Um, A week and a half ago, we were on our way to Susie's chemo treatments. And chemo is not probably the spa day that we call it, it, it's a challenge, and I know that it's a challenge every three weeks. And we're on our way there, and, and Suze and I are talking, and she goes, you know what came up in my devotions this morning? The end of Job. And um, she said, I read that, and I read about the greatness of God And then I realized, what do I have to complain about? 
I know that he is great. I know that he can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so she smiled and we went into chemo. And so when we read a chapter like Psalm 104, that focusing on God, I can tell you from firsthand experience, is what will get us through some of the hardest trials in life. And we look for solutions all around us. I'm not saying we shouldn't look for, look for solutions there, but our ultimate solution is how great is your God? Because if this chapter is true, and it is, then there is nothing I can face that he can't deal with and that he can't use for his glory. That's the message of Psalm 104. I chose it today because three years ago today on that Sunday is when I announced that that Susie had cancer. And in those three years, we have seen God work so many things for his glory. And it is still an ongoing fight. We praise God. We had good news this week that the tumors aren't growing and they might be able to reduce some of the, the chemo. But it's still a fight, and that's okay because our God is still great. And in those three years, you all as a church family have shown yourself worthy to be called family and people of God in your support, in your encouragement, in your prayer. And so I stand before you and say, God answers prayer. And it may not be the complete healing that we're praying for, But it is sustaining life and it's bringing her to where he wants her and bringing our family to where he wants us because our God is great and no purpose of his can be thwarted. Trust him. Trust him with your good days. Trust him with your hard days. Don't look at the little pebble. Look at the big rock that you couldn't see. It'll come up eventually. Oh, it came up? Oh, cool. I'd like to end by just singing How Great Is Our God and coming together and acknowledging he is greater than anything we deal with here. And his desire is that we glorify him, that we bless the Lord with all our souls. So let's stand and bless him and praise him. God, our Father, creator of all things, sustainer of all things. You are awesome. You are great. And Lord, we praise you with our whole being because of it. We submit to you. We follow you. We give you ourselves because there is nothing else that satisfies. There's no greater place to be. Thank you for your creation, God. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your presence with us even now. Help us to live in light of your greatness instead of living in light of our problems. Help us to be a people that have hope because of who you are and help the world to see that and come to you, God. In your great and magnificent name.